Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. There was a lot of speculation that when Tom Brady went on the shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. What he was saying at the MF or he was, oh, yeah, he was yeah, thinking oh, it was yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, what did you think of that? that? That people thought it was it was you and the Raiders? From what I know, it wasn't me. Okay. You know? Okay, uh, that's good. It, which is good. And and if it was, like, I've, I've gotten in enough trouble trying to challenge some people to fight. You know what I'm <laughs> uh, but as a man, you know what I'm saying? Like, Tom, like, you right. got I know you got the rings, but yeah. you know, if it's not me, then we're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, if it. What I heard, it wasn't me, uh, and so I'm good with that. Yeah. But uh, but if it wasn't, where'd you hear that it wasn't you? Uh, I can't give about. away my sources. Okay, yeah. cool. You know? yeah. I got to ask though. Yeah. Sources say. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? What's funny is I said to ESPN after the game, I was like, it feels like my career. It's just it's like, yes, crap. <laughs> I was like, gosh, dang. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, we, we won the game, man. You know, and it, it feels so good, so especially to win the first one. We won, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, we should to add that to my career winnings, Josh. Probably add that one tonight. That one will help. Um, it, I was just waiting for Josh to say something. You know, I'm just kidding. I love you, man. I hope you know that. I, I enjoy it. You're just so negative, but I love you. Uh, uh. Oh, what a wild ride has been for Derek Carr. What a wild ride that was last night between the Raiders and the Ravens. Michael, all offseason, we were trying to uncover the mystery of who was the MF. Notice I didn't say MF. Yeah. Because MFR is actually redundant, even though that's how people typically right. write. Yeah, thank but who you. was? Thank you, you do the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It let's, is. let's start with that. Let's let's establish this. It's Come MF. On. You know, it's not MFR. Correct. You know what that's I mean? Not, that's not some, some correct, profane, profane grammar. Yes. Get your grammar game right. Correct. Right. Your profanity. So, but that was a big correct. mystery this off season. Who was the MF or, who was the MF that Tom Brady was talking about? Now, See, Derek Carr. It's easy to do. I just did it again. Derek Carr, yeah. as we just flashed back to, he told you and me in Tahoe that his understanding was he was not the MF. I have it on pretty good authority. You and I have talked about this since, Michael, off camera. Yeah. I have it on pretty good authority that he was indeed the MF, which makes sense because the organization that Tom Brady because the second part of that was looking back, I'd have never signed with that team. Totally the Raiders, okay? Um, and so I have it on pretty good authority that it was indeed Derek Carr, not to call him a liar, not to refute his sources, not to burst his bubble. Right. But like he said, my understanding that it, that it wasn't me, but if it was me, it is what it is, right? Um, but that, that got me, watching that game last night, I'm thinking about that off-season storyline. I'm thinking about that conversation. And then, Michael, that got me to go back and re-watch our, one of our favorite stand-up comedy specials, Kings of Comedy. Yes. And the late, great yes. Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. 
that Mike Bernie man. Did you watch it too? The mic drop moment. Because Michael, I didn't watch it. As we know, always think of it. Right. You thought about so many ways. There's so many interpretations. I don't need to tell you, Michael, that a mother it is a noun and it is a person, (laughs) place, or thing, and it can be used 32 different ways in conversation and still make sense. And Raiders fans know what I'm talking about with Derek Carr in particular because at various points you'd be like, this mother... Or you'd be like, mother... Or last night, Derek Carr was a mother... Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Shut your mouth. That's right. <laughs> he, he was hey, last night. And at various points, what? he has been the, 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 the term of endearment mother... You know what I mean? He's been that over various yeah. points of his career... And it was so good to see him ball out last night and have that moment for the first time in front of Allegiant Stadium fans. Because I'm pulling for Derek Carr to be a mother this year. Okay, I'm looking. I'm looking forward Everybody to him is. balling out this year. Yeah. Everybody is. He's a good dude. He's a good dude, man. I really like Derek Carr. Very like. If he him. had a little, if he had a sense of the moment, if he really wanted to embrace it, he should have said in front of the media crowd last night, "Hey." Somebody hand me my wallet. And then somebody would have said, well, which one is your wallet? <laughs> and he would have said, right. the one that says, bad MF. Yeah. Because he was yeah. that last night. Derek Carr. And and this is what he said to us in Tahoe. Like, that got all the attention. I got the headlines, rightfully so. But what he said in Tahoe was how interesting it is how people view him. Because I think it was at the end of the, what was it? 16, 17 seasons, somewhere in there, where he was in the MVP conversation. 16. He was having a great 16. year. Yeah, 16. That he got that, hurt. That, that 12 and 4 year. Yeah. Broke his leg. Yeah, he That's got hurt. Raiders going to the playoffs. They fizzled because Derek Carr really was a huge part of their offense. He was having a great season. And then it became fashionable. Back when slapping was fashionable, uh, it became fashionable to kind of hate. On Derek Carr and, and part of it is frankly the head coach. I don't think the head coach has has done a lot to support him publicly. He's kind of been wishy-washy sending some mixed messages and John Gruden is like that sometimes with quarterbacks, but Derek Carr is a really good quarterback. Well, I think he said the Even right things publicly. Well, real, real quick, I think he said the right things publicly, but privately but not, you know that John it, Gruden can't be trusted because he, he's talked about well, what a well, great quarterback and what a and what an underrated and underappreciated quarterback car has Except, been publicly, but they're always in the mix for an upgrade. Right. He said it publicly, Mike, but he hadn't said it from his chest. It's not like, mm-hmm. ooh, I really believe it. I don't catch feelings when I hear him talking about Derek Carr. I don't sense any kind of mm-hmm. genuine love for Derek Carr and appreciation for what he's doing. But even last year, you look at Carr's season or, or the season before the, the, the alleged Look, Brady was talking about him. I'm sorry, Brady was talking about him. But no, he was. The season, the season, the season before Brady uh, left, right? So 2019. You look at Brady's 2019. You look at Derek Carr's 2019. Even people. Carr was at 70 percent. Yeah, they try to make excuses. Well, well, that's 70 percent. But no, ain't no but. The problem with the Raiders is not Derek Carr. They, they may have some other issues, but Derek Carr is not their problem. So I'm happy to see him do that last night. And Mike, that game was nuts. Like, you can't yeah. make that game up. There's Derek Carr's performance. Then there's the game itself 
which was bizarre. I mean, I don't, I don't I know. I thought I was in Nevada high again. I thought, I thought I was high. Well, I, yeah. I was like, wait, because it was late. I'm like, am I, am I, like, what is going on? We weren't in Vegas. We were in Tahoe, but I'm like, am I high? Like, wait, yeah. did they, I thought they just won the game. Wait, they're, they're back on the field. And then Carr throws an interception off of the hands of, of Willie Sneed and somebody else's helmet. And then they get they the get ball back and they're, they're going like, to kick a field goal, but they can't find the kicker. And then the kicker comes out and it's a delay of game. And then they throw it against the all out blitz and it's a touchdown. What the hell happened in Vegas? Yeah, no, I, I thought I was high again, uh, which we, we told people that that's what happened in Tahoe. I was can I you promise? I know we did, but but can you promise me that you'll never get that high again? That was I mean, that was something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was that was hey. dangerously high. It was dangerously high. Hey, can, can I tell people that now 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 that people know you were high? Can I tell them the quote yeah. so they can understand how high you were? Which quote? quote? Which one? Which one? I fear for my life. I, Michael, <laughs> I fear for my life. <laughs> this fool right here. This, I mean, I was, this I, MF I was said. I was hallucinating. I, bro, I mean, I still. I, I, I fear was for my life. I got to know where to say Mike, when. you're fine. You know? Mike, yeah. you're fine. You're not in danger. Yeah. Well, I've got you. Well, I've got I, you. yeah. I, I, look, the fear was from within. One day, like, I, I was one the day, person that was. One in day we'll tell the whole story. One one day we'll, we'll yeah, yeah, put story. it in your next book. But but then you feel like you were hallucinating last night. Like what the hell is going on in this game? Yeah. Let me have that feeling to it. And uh, you know, not only that, not only hallucinating, but even if you're not hallucinating, and let's say you had to old school, you know, back back to the Boston Globe days or ESPN.com or you know newspaper Chicago Tribune or whatever, where you have to write the game story. Man, your game story probably changed five or six times in real time in about 15 minutes. Because at, at one point I was convinced that the Ravens were going to win the game. It's 27-24, not that much time left. Okay, we know the Raiders can only do a certain thing. They got to operate in the middle of the field. They ain't gonna, they gonna run out of time. They need a long field goal to, to tie it up. That's exactly what happened. Two plays, middle of the field, long field goal, they tie it. Then it, it looks like uh, they won the game in overtime. But you know, I don't know what you would, I, I don't know if this is just superstition or just experience. When they said he's down at the one and a half yard line, I said, okay, this is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. You either win the game or something bad's going to happen. Sure enough, you get a so false you, start. So you have a QB you sneak. A, you get a rush. The false start. You get a QB sneak that goes nowhere. Yeah, QB sneak, false start, incomplete Which I'm pass, sure when interception. Alex Leatherwood, controversial first round pick by Mike Mayock. I'm sure Raiders fans everywhere was anyway, like, this motherfucker. Right. You know what I mean? I'm sure, I'm sure that, that hey. was it. And then interception, mother. You know what I mean? It's the whole the whole thing just kept. Go, it is it is a noun, and it could be a person, place, or thing. It, it's, and it's got so many different uses. And I'm telling you, Derek Carr is going to be a mother. He's going to be that this year. He's going to do it this year. He's going to be that guy because because you know why? Because and he, he asked for this last night, so we're going we're going to do him the favor he asked for. We got to talk about the defense, man. Like the defense, you know, they're not going to be you know, the old, you know, Raider defenses from back in the day, you know, NFL films, Raider defenses, but they got a lot of potential. Yeah, and they could be a playmaking defense. It kind of reminds me, you know, again, it's one game, small sample size, but 
but it kind of reminds me oh. of what Dallas needs from its defense. Like maybe it's one of those defenses where you can move okay. the ball against them, but they'll come up with a timely turnover to play complimentary football to complement an offense that if they stay healthy, I mean, you got John Gruden saying, and that's just, that's on, that's on uh, Lamar right there, that play. But John Gruden, no stranger to hyperbole. But, you know, Gruden saying Darren Wall is the best player he's ever coached. And, and maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe he is the most gifted player that he's ever coached. And that's saying something given the, the caliber of players that Gruden has coached over his long career. That's a ridiculous. But there's so many weapons on offense. Comment. You you have a good core. I don't know if it's ridiculous because he's a gifted player. Oh, oh but will he be? Oh, it's ridiculous. But will he be? Okay, all right. But none of none right. I'm talking I about mean, strictly talent. He's not. Okay. We'll okay. see if he's got a gold jacket one day. But strictly on talent, the all dude right. is a mother. Okay, Darren Wall is a mother. Okay, he is. <laughs> okay, but anyway, point being, who's they gonna got say all, it first? They, today? It, who's gonna say it? Because at what look, point you gonna say it? A couple it? seconds. I know I'm just I'm playing with fire. I'm totally playing with fire. Um, yeah. But on paper, I know you love that on paper and if healthy, they got nothing but weapons on offense. You know, Brian Edwards looks like the real deal. We've been hearing about him all offseason. We know what Hunter Rivfro uh, was doing during training camp, but he's been reliable. So they got nothing but weapons on offense. Defensively, if they could complement that offense. I know it's Kansas City and everybody else in the AFC, certainly in the AFC West, but Lois the keys, all four AFC West teams won. Um, and while the Broncos, you know, may have a serviceable stopgap in Teddy Bridgewater, we know the Chargers got a star uh, in the making of Justin Herbert. And we always, always know about Patrick Mahomes. Right. Hey, man, he's maybe dead. this is maybe this is Derek Carr's year because the problem with Derek Carr is simply this: is simply this. Since that 2016 season you referenced, for the Raiders, it's been six and ten, four and twelve, seven and nine, and eight and eight. And they started last year. I think they won the opener last year. They, they've gotten off to good starts. They've been in the mix only to inevitably and eventually fall apart. So they all they all in the hot seat this year. Gruden, Mayock, and Carr. They all got to show and prove this year. This needs to be a playoff team uh, for this franchise, for this organization, for Mark Davis and his stadium-looking house that he's building. This needs to be a playoff team this year. Yeah. And as long as that defense can complement and, and, and come up with timely turnovers, Carr gonna do his thing. I do believe that Derek Carr can do his yeah, thing. Yeah, and you know what? And I, I like the way I like the way, just in general, not just for the Raiders, but in general, the way you're talking about defense, because I think that's how you got to play defense in in 2021. Like even a great defense, even a, a great defense is gonna give up a bunch of yards. This is the way I feel. I don't think we're we're long past 2,000 yeah. Ravens. 85 no Bears. That's not going to happen anymore. It just can't happen mm -hmm. anymore. So even no. if you are a talented Too defense, whoever you think of talent, most talented defense in the in the league is, I think it's either you know Pittsburgh or or the Rams or somebody like that. Even those teams are going to give up some yards. Going to give up some points. So what you got to be able yeah. to do is, at, at critical times, just can you alter? Can you make a game-altering stop when it really matters? Okay, I got to have it. Third and seven. I, I, I'm, I'm a batter ball. I'm going to stop him here. Just the offense just can't go up and down the field whenever it wants. Right. Like so, you right. mentioned Dallas. So in da in that game, that Dallas Tampa game, they couldn't make a game altering stop when it mattered. They couldn't do it. They had came up with some turnovers, but when it mattered, they couldn't do it. Right. Last night, right. the Raiders could a couple of times. So that's defense in the right. that's defense in the 21st century, and maybe the, if the Raiders can do that, 
the AFC this. West maybe becomes last year's AFC North where they had three teams get into the playoffs. Maybe yeah. uh, you get three playoffs in um, AFC West. I think the word the word that we're both uh, referencing is situational. You know, can you play yep. situational defense? Can they not be the Raiders that they've been for so many years and lead the league in penalties and have untimely penalties? Um, you know, because the talent's there. The talent's there. Um, and if, if they can if they can have a balanced team for once, uh, the quarterback will finally get his due. I, I want to touch on something before we hit this break, Mike, and uh, our guy Thomas Dimitrov joins us. So it's, it's always a long season, which is why you're never supposed to overreact to week one, right? It's a longer season now that it's a, it's a 17. Well, we got to talk about something, but it's a 17 game season now. And so even less so is week one, uh, you know, the stuff that the season is made of. Nobody's winning or losing the championship in week one. However, though, I look ahead to week two and I look at the results of week one and look, oh, and two is a hole you don't want to be in. And while two and oh doesn't guarantee right. anything, the math has always said that two and oh puts you in pretty good shape, right? But just looking at some of these games coming up in week two, uh, I don't know if you have to skip, but just starting with the team we're talking about, the Raiders, and we'll, we'll touch on the Raider, Ravens later on, I'm sure. But the Raiders are at your Steelers. I mean, you want to talk about throwback game. Raiders at Steelers week two all of a sudden looms quite large. So there's that one, right? And I'm just going to pick out a few. I'm sure I'm going to miss some. I'm sure I just want to pick out a few. Uh, Niners-Eagles is all, all, all of a sudden more interesting than maybe we thought it would be going into the season because the Eagles were certain we didn't talk, we didn't talk about them yesterday quite impressive against the Falcons now they play host to the Niners and you know the margin for error in the NFC West looks like it's going to be small uh, once again then on the yeah. flip side you know you have some teams that could it could really get ugly for them uh, if they Dolphins. were to fall into an 0-2 hole Going next Monday night, Lions and Packers is also also huge. Chiefs at Ravens yes. next Sunday night on NBC. The Ravens could end up 0-2. Okay? Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Yeah, you want to jump that, in with any of these matchups that well, just jump out to yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the Bills Dolphins is a big one too, because you're looking at a, a lot of people's sexy Super Bowl pick, the Buffalo Bills, and they lose that first game at home to the Steelers. And now the Dolphins, the only team with the winning record in the AFC East, they go home against Buffalo. If they beat Buffalo, so now, to, to your point, hey, 0-2, it's not, you know, we've seen it happen. I've seen teams start 0-2 and, and not only make the playoffs, but win the Super Bowl after starting 0-2. It's happened. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily derail your season, but can you? It, it, it makes people a little agitated, a little tight, you start off 0 and 2. So this is a huge game. Not a must win game, Mike. I know it's only September. It's no, only right, two, right, but, right. But, right. But for Buffalo, a divisional game against Miami and that if Miami wins that Miami is uh, in a strong position at AFC East. The only team that's undefeated in that division with a win over Buffalo, that would be significant. So I'm looking at that one. Well, a big game. But we, I mean, we could really do this with all of them, obviously, because, you know, half the leagues want to know half the leagues are one. But I mean, it, it just it just feels big. You know what I mean? Like Cowboys uh, at Chargers. So the Cowboys could be right back at 0 and 2 if they're, you know, going, going to, you know, an upstart team like the Chargers, who conversely could be 2 and 0 and, and and on their way. Although, you know, the Chargers 
Still the Chargers until further notice. I understand we're, we're talking about the Chargers. Titans are at Seahawks. I mean, you got some perennial contending teams that could end up in 0-2 holes in the blink of an eye. You know, the Titans obviously got their butts whipped by one NFC West team. Now they're going to Seattle, which is never an easy trip. You know, Russell Wilson might end up cooking them as well. Um, and then, like, on the low, we talked about the Browns blowing it against Kansas City, which no lead is safe against Kansas City, as we know. I right, mean, again, right. the Texans, yeah, they beat the Jaguars. But, you know, that's the type of game that no. the Browns traditionally no. have ended up browning this thing, right? No, I'm not picking no. the Texans. No. I'm simply saying you can, you can, you know good and well, no team can look overlook anybody in the National Football League. You know that, Michael. I'm not telling you nothing you don't know right. very well. I'm simply saying right. it could be difficult or a shocker given how competitive the Texans, you know, appear that, capable of being. Like, Terod Taylor, not to get too far off into this, but we got to get we got to go to break. I know, but Terod Taylor is no scrub. Terod Taylor's been a capable quarterback. You know, everybody always trying to replace him, but Terod Taylor's been a capable quarterback. Who's to say that the Texans can't pull a shocker in Cleveland? I mean, I'm just saying this week is big for a lot of teams. You know, on on both ends of the spectrum, on both ends of the, it could be a very, very intense conversation if some teams end up 0-2. And on the flip side, a lot of people could be feeling real good about themselves. I mean, the Broncos even got a chance. They're at Jacksonville. They got a chance to go 2-0 and on the road to start the season. You said they're at Jacksonville? That, you know, so. you said the Broncos are at yeah. Jacksonville? They will go 2 I did, yes. <laughs> they will go 2-0. and <laughs> Like, yeah. They have, the, well, actually, they have the honor and privilege of going up against the Urban Meyer squad. So, yeah, good for them. I'm, good for I'm them. glad I, you mentioned you know, Urban. You I'm glad you mentioned Urban. You go so, get what you need. I'm glad you mentioned Urban. So you know what? Um, on the way out, we got Thomas Dimitrov standing by. We're working on uh, you know his situation, get him set up. We're gonna review the, the week that was with Thomas Dimitrov, former Falcons general manager. Uh, he's got connections throughout the league, so I've got a lot of things to cover with him. One of the things I do want to ask him is about Urban Meyer, because Michael, to be honest with you, man, and you know I, I set it up yesterday, got out of the way. Charles Robinson gave his insight. You doubled down on your prediction. I, I loved your line yesterday. I love when you said he's somewhere between, I think you said Petrino Boulevard and Saban Way or Saban Boulevard and Petrino Way. That it's not going to be midseason resignation, but he won't last 32 games. You From day one, you have been out on the Urban Meyer hire. Day one. You never liked it. You never liked it. I think it's way too premature to write Urban Meyer's NFL experiment off. So I'd love to hear what Thomas Dimitrov thinks about what's going on in Jacksonville, rebuilding a college coach, making a transition to the NFL. But in the meantime, uh, here's Urban Meyer talking about uh, urban development, if you will. Well, I've been warned for a long time that uh, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So calm down, relax, and, and uh, not relax, but... Uh, on, onward, soldier, move on, and uh, let's go Monday and get back to work. Uh, we're still a work in progress, have you seen? I did not anticipate that today. I thought our guys worked really hard. I believe deeply in this team, and so we worked our tails off. We lined up and go again.
there's a national media site that, um, just before I got in here, published a story saying that Rogers' um, uncertain status might have impacted things yesterday. Do you think there's anything to that as, as far as a leader goes? And you, you know if anything happened in the offseason. Do you think there's any impact at all on that, on, on this year's team? You're, you're talking about the offseason? Yes. No, I think this, this team's focused on now. And unfortunately, sometimes in this league, you, you get humbled. And certainly, we got humbled and... Like I said, it's it's about how we respond to that, how we come back to work, how we stay together, and and get ready to play against a team that I know is going to be really hungry coming in here. You want to talk about the most overblown storyline for Week One? That is that the Packers Aaron Rodgers offseason drama spilled over into Week One against the Saints who, as our first guest of the day, knows are a hell of a football team year in and year out, okay? Don't look like they're going to miss a beat at quarterback with Jameis Winston. And if you watch the game, which I know Thomas Dimitrov did, it was one of those games that just kind of got away from him. But, Thomas, when you were general manager of the Falcons, you obviously spent a lot of time going head-to-head with the Saints. You know how quality an organization that is from top to bottom. What did you see in this game? And, do, and look, I'm not in the locker room. You, you obviously understand what goes into chemistry and, and, and culture and so on and so forth. Am I missing something? Is there something to be said for the offseason drama carrying over into week one? Because a lot of things happen since then, like, oh, I don't know, training camp, preseason. There is no doubt that a lot of things have, ha- have happened. And look, I have to say, I really appreciate how Matt LaFleur approached this. The reality is there are distractions. And if you're not a team that can handle distractions, then you shouldn't have distractions in the first place. This team, Green Bay, is a very good team with a very good quarterback. They have to wade through all this and clean it up. Hands down, we know that. Yes, they were playing a fantastic team. I know all of my Atlanta Falcon buddies and friends are going to be, you know, just killing themselves hearing me say that. But the reality is it's a very good football team. The way that Jameis was playing, they were, they were rocking it the other day. It looked good. Unfortunately, you just had a quarterback who's the best quarterback in the league who didn't have a good game. Let's not panic over it. The reality is there were distractions, and I've always said this, even my days in New England, and you guys know it really well, yes, we used it, but if you use it as an excuse, then I think at times that is a little bit of a shame on you for an organization. Deal with it. Move forward. If you're going to be in the middle of it, you know what you're facing. Take it on head on. You know what, Thomas? I had a, I had a, a bunch of questions in this notebook for you, a bunch of questions, well thought out. Well prepared, and I heard you say Aaron Rodgers, best quarterback in the league. So, uh, was that? Did you misspeak there? Aaron Rodgers, best quarterback in the league. We got Tom Brady. We got Patrick Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers. Elaborate, please. We we have we have some we have some great quarterbacks in this league, and Aaron Rodgers is one of the very very best. We'll put it that way. Thanks for calling me out on it. There are other quarterbacks that you just mentioned who are right up there. But any given Sunday, gentlemen, you know that this cat who's slinging the ball in Green Bay is still one of the very best in this league. He had an off day. Unfortunately, we're all going to look at it in a certain way, like it was wrong potentially that he did what he did and and put Matt LaFleur and and Brian Gutekinds in that funky spot. The reality is it is today's game. We talked about it recently. That is how things are going. When you have guys making $40-plus million a year, whatever the numbers are, 
uh, you know, they have a big say in an organization. So thanks for calling me out on that. Like you do, if I'm not, not on time getting back to you on my phone calls, Michael, the reality is you're right. There are probably three or four yeah. that are right up there at the very top. We'll get to your old guy, Tom Brady, in a second, but want to stay with the former Bucks quarterback in Jameis Winston. And you've obviously faced him for quite a long time. You've seen him since the beginning of his career, twice a year when he was in Tampa and you were in Atlanta. Uh, obviously took that apprenticeship season under Drew Brees last year in New Orleans. What are you seeing in terms of, of his potential to thrive the second go-round as a quarterback of, of a team like New Orleans with the infrastructure that's around him? I think there are a lot of people out there that are wondering, right? They're skeptical. The reality is he was raw and in a really maturing stage with Tampa Bay. We all know what his raw skills are and his natural athletic ability and natural quarterback abilities, abilities are. That said, being around Drew, Drew and being around an organization that was as stellar as it has been in New Orleans was very good for his maturity level and his evolving. You know, obviously, he's doing better now, and that's really important. I was one of those people that was a little bit skeptical. I thought I thought he was not going to win that job, and he obviously won it outright, and it's good to watch him do what he did. Why didn't you think he'd win it? Uh, yeah, exactly. I was, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> I was going to ask, why yeah. did you think he'd win? <laughs> I just was wondering how things were going to transfer over. Having been around him and playing against him in Tampa, it might have jaded my vision of what was going on with him. Of course, he has natural skills. I just wasn't sure where he was as far as owning the team, you know, having the, the, the maturity level to take the team, not only on the, on the field athletically, but also from a leadership standpoint. I just needed to get my head around that, and it's, it's apparent. The people I know there as well, uh, he's really starting to mature and evolve, so that's a, that's a good place for him to be right now. Thomas, I've been so uh, intrigued by uh, the Houston Texans situation. I think the last time you were on, I asked you about Nick Casario and Deshaun Watson, and the story just continues to change. And so uh, depending on who's reporting it, either Casario or somebody with the Texans is asking for a combination of six picks and players or five picks and players. Uh, how, how do you see this? This just wild situation with Deshaun Watson. How do you see it resolving itself? And it is it resolved in the 2021 season? Well, look, first of all, make no mistake about it. Nick Casario and crew are doing all of the analysis on this. This isn't just them trying to be a pain in anyone's butt, trying to get as much as they can. Of course, it is that at the core. But there are a lot of different things that are involved in this. The timing of this trade, I'm sure you guys have been following that a little bit. Right now, they don't know. If they make a trade with someone, they don't know where they're going to end up in the first round um, ballots as far as are they going to be at the back end of the draft? Are they going to be in the middle or the front? There are benefits to wait around for sure. I know it seems counterintuitive. It's tough for me to think about it from the standpoint of not for long and win now. You better get your best guy in there. You better either... Uh, cajole them into staying or try to get as much as you can get. I understand that. This is a really, really unique situation. I don't envy Nick Casario and, and the group there, that you know, how they're dealing with this. It was great to see them come out and uh, kick Jacksonville the yeah. way they did because it showed that they, they have a team that's, you know, getting behind David Cully and, and, and the group there. I've been reading more and more and understanding from the people I know in Houston that, 
you know, the reality is Deshaun isn't stirring the pot. It's not like a mess within the building. Understand this, gentlemen. When you have a quarterback with such talent, yes, he's not playing. What I've realized over the years, the players really do, for the most part, bond behind their players, right? They see it. They try to, you know, seek not to be understood, but, but understand. They try to understand where he's coming from. They may have a little bit of resentment, but the reality is they're behind a player quite often much more than they are behind management. And I'm, I'm assuming, knowing you, classic guy that you are, I'm sure you sent Nick a text. I don't know if he responded or not, but just can you go a little bit more into really just their approach this offseason? Because Michael will tell you, we were talking about it like the Deshaun situation, which coincidentally today is Deshaun's birthday. But we were talking about it all offseason. That kind of hovered over the organization, but quietly they did almost a an 01 Patriot like Filene's basement. I think Michael was your reference back in the day. Filene's basement yeah. type yeah. shopping spree when it came to picking up a bunch of veterans. I thought they had a productive offseason. I know it was Jacksonville, who we'll get to in a moment. But A, I love to know if you talk to Nick, your good friend, since uh, Sunday's win. And B, just, you know, do they have potential to actually surprise some people, or was it just Jacksonville at the end of the day? I would say, um, you know, again, they've worked hard to put whatever they put together, given, you know, some of the, the shortcomings on what they might have been able to acquire and where they are right now. They're going to work, as you guys know, there's not a harder work, and I said that, there's not a harder work in the Nick Casario, believe me, so he'll do whatever he can. You know, the, 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 the whatever you guys, however you guys describe that, the bottom basement dealings that they did, kudos to them for finding out what they could do to piecemeal, you know, a football team together. Is it Jacksonville? Look, I'm a big believer in, and again, any given Sunday, there is no team on this in this league that are horrible. Jacksonville has some good football players on there, too. How they come together, I heard you guys talking a little bit earlier about Urban Meyer and such. That's a whole other topic of conversation. I get it. The reality is I think what they're doing in Houston is they're trying to learn. They're trying to help Coach Cully grow as well. Nick Casario is a neophyte general manager. They're trying to bring that organization back to having some semblance of order and not being the focus in this league on what is wrong and what is right with that organization. And that's a big thing as a team builder. You want to make sure you're doing all you can to settle people and have a little bit more of a, an even keel about you perception-wise as an organization. So, so Mike Smith knows this about me. I've, I've got some, uh, I've got some pettiness in my spirit, Thomas. I'm trying to get better, but you know, there's some things that really <laughs> annoy me. And one of the things that annoys me is that when a team builder, whether it's a head coach or a general manager, comes in and doesn't have respect for the process or doesn't seem to, seems to come in with a little, a little too much of a, a, a chest puffed out unnecessarily. And so that's the thing that annoys me about Urban Meyer, seemingly. College guy coming in, got all the answers. I don't think that flies in the NFL. Just what's your experience from, what's your experience with these college guys, whether it's a head coach or a general manager coming in? Wait, okay, go ahead, Mike. Where, am I softening? No, 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 wait. Am I softening? <laughs> yeah, big time. Big time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wait, wait you acting like we actually interview, like we're not talking to family. You act like we interviewing somebody that you got to sugarcoat this thing with. Thomas, this dude act like Urban Meyer stole something from him. I don't know if it's the Ohio State days or what, but ever since Urban Meyer got yesterday, this dude said, he said that Urban Meyer lives somewhere between 
this is your predecessor, Bobby Petrino Way and Nick Saban Boulevard, that he ain't built for this league. And I'm just like, Michael, I remember, I'm old enough to remember 2000, Thomas, I know you do too. 2000, Belichick wasn't a college guy, but even though he had made the playoffs in Cleveland, people were saying the same thing about how he was coming in and wasn't built to, made to be a head coach. I just think it's too early to write off Urban Meyer the way that Michael Holly has, has been doing since he got hired, and now more so than ever since there's all these stories about dysfunction coming out. Way to soften that up, Michael. Asking a neutral question. You ain't neutral on Urban Meyer. <laughs> okay, I'm not neutral. But, I'm, but I want to give Thomas an opportunity. I want to give Thomas an opportunity to address it in a way that he will, without my biases. Okay, okay let me start by saying this, and this is not a lighthearted preface. Urban and I have always gotten along, and he's treated me respectfully. That said, you cannot avoid what is always a topic of conversation within the NFL amongst general manager, player personnel people, and even coaches. There's always going to be a jealousy and an insecurity about a man like Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Chip Kelly, whoever they are coming in with a lot of cachet from the college game, stepping into a league that is really steeped in tradition and a, and a tight-knit group, no question about that. So there are a lot of people out there looking at Urban Meyer and have looked at a lot of college coaches who have stepped in this game the way that Urban has, hoping for him not to succeed. Unfortunate as it is, it is the way it is. And you've been reading it, whether it's Lock and Fora reporting it or other people talking about it, there are a lot of people on their edges, the edges of their seats trying to figure out what it's going to take for Urban to look at USD and go and replace Clay Helton there. And I will be really interested to see how that plays out. Again, hey, I'm Michael, think about this, both Michaels. Urban Meyer knows what he's doing. He is a very, very good football coach. Whether he fits in or wants to fit in with this pro game right now, that's not for us, I guess, to answer at this point. It will be really interesting to see how the organization revolves around him. And if they get behind him, or do they continue to throw darts quietly? Because he will not, I guarantee this, someone of his stature and someone of, of his uh, confidence, he's not going to take lightly to cancers within the room or mutiny within the room. Believe me, there will be some interesting sales down the road if he starts seeing that. Uh, well, let me ask you this. And that's a, that's a great answer, Thomas. What do you think, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my resentment toward Urban and my jealousy, okay, maybe I'm jealous, I don't know, uh, uh, of Urban aside, what do you think his biggest challenge is going from college to the pros? Is it the obvious or is there something, is there something nuanced there that, that maybe I'm missing? Well, first of all, he can't compete with you style-wise, so you don't have to worry about that. He's not wearing nicer clothes and more style than you. Make sure you guys know that. We'll move that aside. You know, as far as the the nuances, as far as trying to be, you know, coming from a college and being an omnipotent college coach and stepping into being, you know, the the answer in Jacksonville, I think what's happening here is, again, you have people that are looking at it saying the best way that an organization should be set up is a very good partnership between the head coach and the general manager. And as much as possible, it's shoulder-to-shoulder. We've seen it and talked about it time and again. Urban Meyer, I can imagine, like other coaches coming in, remember this. They did not have to work with a general manager in college. They had an AD and a president. President, of course, they respected, but rarely had discussions with him. The AD 
it didn't matter who that AD is. I mean, no one really cared who the ADs were. They, they, didn't, they had no decision-making ability. Now he's got to work side-by-side by side with Trent Bulky and crew. That becomes complicated. I don't know how it's going. I've not talked to anyone there. What I will say is that it, it is complicated, and you have a lot of people tiptoeing around wondering how to handle an omnipotent head coach because they, that person has not been in the program knowing the give and takes of team building with another person. Interesting going from omnipotence and uh, realizing that you're not omniscient uh, at this level. So we'll see how it plays out. It's still just one game. Uh, Belichick, Patriots. Last time we talked to you, I think, I, I'm sorry, the kind of, days kind of run together. Might have still been a question as to who was going to start. And I think since we last it talked was. to you, Cam has yeah. been released and it is Mac Jones. Looks solid in his first time out. He may have a win his first time out, if not for uh, both running backs fumbling. But, um, you know, but Harris is fumble inside the red zone as they were going in. What would you see from Mac Jones? And for that matter, Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, really, that matchup of former Alabama quarterbacks, the jury's still out on Tua outside of Miami. Well, let's start with Mac. I mean, the, the reality is Mac handled it with poise like we thought he would. He had a really good understanding. Of course, he's got one of the best, if not the best, offensive coordinators in the league who is going to get him ready. I loved it. I know it was a small thing, and they, they highlighted it. When he flipped the ball after he got his first touchdown and he, and he just kind of cast off saying, oh, I got many more of those to do. Let me just focus on this. Yeah, team that was cool. Building with. I love that. It is so Patriot-esque. I get that. And it probably irritates a lot of other people. I understand that. I just, I love his poise and his savvy and his ability to move around and be calm through it all. That's a great indication of what's, what's to come. You know, Thomas, uh, I, I want to stick with quarterbacks, not Patriots quarterbacks. Oh, well, but what about just? Wait, I'm sorry, real quick. Oh, yeah, you have one more. Tua, yeah, yeah, thoughts Who's on the other Tua? one? Yeah, yeah thoughts on Tua. Tua. Oh yeah, Tua. Yeah, look, I mean, again, Tua. He's going to be as ready as possible, given who they are as a staff. And Brian Flores, like another Patriot guy, is going to have him as ready as possible. He had his ups and downs. I know there's still a lot of questions out there about are they going to go forward with him? What happens in the next few weeks if things don't? really thrive as you want him to thrive? Will they be in the Deshaun Watson uh, sweepstakes more than who knows? The reality is he's a hell of an athlete who moves around and has versatility to him. He's got to, of course, be very proper about his decision-making, and that will come with time. But as a, as a team executive and as a co-team builder, believe me, that patience in that situation wears thin when you're losing games, and this is all about wins in this league. You and I know that. All right, so so Thomas, let's talk about uh, quarterbacks, uh, the, uh, young quarterbacks who are a little bit more advanced than, than Tua and Mac. I'm talking about Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. What goes into an organization saying, "All right, we're going to go forward with this big contract right now, or we're going to wait"? And just from an organizational standpoint and how a player perceives it, when you're just kind of in that waiting game. You're referring to uh, Baker at this point, right? I'm sorry. Baker, yeah, Baker Mayfield. Baker. Yeah, Baker yes, and Lamar Jackson. Of yeah. Yeah, I heard. Okay, so Baker first. Yeah, look, I mean, my own interaction with the people that I know in this whole situation is there is no question about it that Andrew Barry is committed to him. 
And we know that Baker's going to be the guy there. That's what I have heard, and those are the rumblings that are very strong. They want to work with him. I wouldn't be surprised within the season that there is legit headway in the negotiation, whether it gets done or not. I don't know. I just have a, a strong feeling they're going to work to try to get this sealed up. It's, a, it's an important time for him, of course. I mean, it'll be really, really interesting to see how all these pieces fall into place, you know, money-wise, and what what's going to happen with Baker's contract leading into Lamar's contract. Are these guys both 45 to or 40 to 45 million, or 44 to 48 million? I, I can't wait because I remember sitting in my seat when we signed Matt Ryan a few years ago to a 30 million dollar contract. I have people within the organization and outside the organization say, "T, are you sure? Are you really sure you should do that?" A month or two later, he's eclipsed. That's the way this business goes. Hey, last question we got for you, Thomas, is um, whether it was Burrow to Chase, uh, Hertz to Smith, or Tungavaloa to Waddle. Uh, the reunions went well week one. Uh, you've always been great at identifying and staying ahead of uh, trends throughout the league. And even the aforementioned Urban Meyer tried to do it with uh, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, not a receiver, but he was, you know, working him as one, Travis Etienne. Do you see uh, more and more teams in an effort to, because people have always drafted uh, young receivers to grow with young quarterbacks, but do you see them maybe going into the talent pool that is their, that quarterback's alma mater and doing more of these reunions? Or is this just coincidence that, uh, you know, the best players happen to come out of the same schools and at the time, uh, that these teams were picking to support their quarterbacks. I think it's multi-layered. I think you, you have a point here. When you're sitting there setting up your receiver group and you have a quarterback and you start thinking how you're going to pair, that does play into it. It's, it's another factor that you would consider. It's not the end-all, be-all. But it does give you a comfort level. And when you think your quarterback, especially your young quarterback, has a comfort level with his, his receivers, running backs, and tight ends, and that they can continue to thrive together, you do anything you can as an organization to help make your quarterback feel comfortable. Again, not to jot dive back into the day, the day, so to speak. We did all in our power. When we traded for Tony Gonzalez, we knew Matt Ryan would thrive, not because he's from the same spot. We knew he was going to thrive having Tony Gonzalez as a very, very high percentage shot underneath to help Matt evolve. This is about quarterbacks evolving. Receivers going to come and go. They're great. There's, you have to have amazing ones. Your quarterback is going to take you into to, to many years into the future, and you better make sure that they're operating early and operating well early. All right, Thomas Dimitrov, man. man. We always appreciate your insight and your knowledge. Uh, really classing up the program, bringing some, uh, bringing some intelligence to this little space here. Well, evidently I wasn't when I did when I named Aaron Rodgers as top quarterback. But you know, Michael, look, that's another conversation. Well, another. All and, right, and speaking of another conversation, I hope we can do it again soon. You guys are great. Yeah, let's do Mike, it again. Great seeing you, brother. Good seeing you Likewise. too, man. Thank you. All right. All right, uh, this has been added to my must-read list. The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World by the amazing uh, Dave Zirin, who's the author of A People's History of Sports in the United States, a columnist for the nation, uh, one of the uh, leading, most intelligent, informed, and influential voices uh, at the intersection of sports and society. Uh, it's incredible to believe that it's been five years since Colin wow. Kaepernick 
first took a knee that nobody noticed until a guest that we have in later in the show. Steve Weish of NFL Media is going to join us. Steve Weish asked him about it, and the rest is literally sports and American history chronicled by nobody better than Dave Zirin at The Nation. I just want to read a couple of passages from his August 19th uh, column in The Nation before we welcome in Dave. Uh, he says, but I want to argue uh, that the media's focus on Kaepernick misses what his legacy actually is. What Colin Kaepernick has provided over the past five years has been a language and method of resistance for young athletes to follow. Literally thousands of athletes in small towns and big cities across the country put his example into practice in their own communities. All of a sudden, the playing field was a contested political space, a site not of escape, but protest. The anthem became an opportunity to express dissent. The idea of being, in that overused phrase, a quote-unquote activist athlete became the new reality for countless teenagers. They went on to write, while so much of the sports media has been obsessed with Kaepernick's every utterance and is waiting for him to speak as if he were some combination of Muhammad Ali and Godot, the fact of the matter is that they've gotten the story exactly wrong. It's not about Kaepernick. Maybe it never was about Kaepernick. It's about the people who adopted the method and language of his protests, taking it away from the bright lights and cameras and bringing it home. It's their voices we should be listening to. It's their voices we should be listening to, excuse me. To ignore them is to ignore the, pro the prospect for change in a world ridden with racism, disease, and constant crisis. That's the true Kaepernick effect. The mass movement to make people uncomfortable enough to surrender their blindness and see what this country has always been and also what it has the capacity to become, Michael. Man, uh, that, is, uh, that is so well done. That's a great... Hey, listen, Dave, I don't think you can get a better intro than that. After that intro, you just say, who are they talking well, about? Oh, they're talking about me. <laughs> I know, it's great. It's really great. And Man, Dave, I'll, my first question is... Yes. Why, why do we continue? Why do we continue to get it wrong? You say five years later, we get it wrong. Why? A lot of reasons. I mean, one reason is, you know, our, our obsession in the media and in our society on celebrity. And in this story, Colin Kaepernick is the celebrity. Maybe someone like Megan Rapino is a secondary celebrity, but that tends to be where our focus goes. That has a magnetic power in our celebrity-obsessed society. That's one reason. I think another reason is that we've always seen this in sports history. I mean, there were tons of young athletes who we've never heard of who raised their fist after Tommy Smith and John Carlos did so at the 1968 Olympics. Who were they? What happened to them? What was the effect on themselves and their communities when they did just that? We don't know because it got memory hold. It got lost to time and all of the weight was put on John Carlos and Tommy Smith. And that's why I started doing this book in January of 2020, started just interviewing young people because I felt like they were getting memory hold and that I was nervous that we would fix. I can't track down those athletes from 68. Where are they? You know, but but these young people, they're still there. They're still organizing. They're still doing things. And I wanted their voices to be centered. Love it. Dave, do you think, do you think Colin Kaepernick ever imagined, okay, this is what I'm trying to do? I mean, we can go back. It's hard to go back to that original point. That's why I love watching, like, the interview in the locker room that he did uh, with the San Francisco media. It wasn't even the national media at that time. Hey, Colin, uh, why didn't you stand? He, he gave his answer, very clear answer. Will you continue to, will you continue to kneel? Yeah, I'll do that. 
until my brothers in the streets, my brothers and sisters in the streets stopped being shot down. So very clear. At that point, do you think he even had like a, a just like a small idea of what was what he was about to spark? No. I think he had no idea. And, you know, and I, I've spoken to Colin before. I've never asked him that question, but I say with such confidence that he had no idea of what this was trying to spark. I'm not even convinced that if Steve Weish hadn't had seen him sit on the bench behind right. his teammates during that August preseason game, if he would have even done it for another week. I mean, that was a very genuine moment for Colin Kaepernick when he sat behind his teammates. And it's so telling that in our world of HD cameras that are on almost every inch on an NFL field that isn't populated by a coach or a player, the only footage we have of him sitting behind his teammates looks like grainy surveillance photos because it was so not focused upon. And he did that because it was August 2016 and there was this just widespread disgust after the public police murders, and I call them public murders because the, the video came out, went viral, of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile on back-to-back -back days. That's what sparked so many athletes starting to get out on the social media and speak about how disgusted they were about the state of this country and the state of policing. And that's why Colin Kaepernick sat down. And Steve Weish had been following not just Colin Kaepernick's social media, but also he'd been following him since they got to know each other when Colin was at Nevada like way back when, uh, when he was truly an unknown coming out of college. And because Steve saw that, he, he, he got that there was a story there. And I, I think that Colin derived a certain confidence from voicing why he did it to Steve Weish. Like Colin's a really smart guy, but he's not the kind of guy who's going to stand up you know, in front of a crowd of 50,000 people and deliver some kind of blistering speech. And I think that process of articulating why he did what he did is really what set him on the journey to say, I'm going to do this every week. And I got to just say one more thing, just because since we're talking about this, I, I don't want to filibuster yeah. here or anything. But I had this no, great I had this great conversation the other day with John Carlos, 68 Olympian, and he had this great point about Colin Kaepernick. He said, you know, I raised my fist on that metal stand for three or four minutes, and it's followed me my entire life, and I've carried the weight of that my entire life. Colin Kaepernick basically did what I did, except he did it for four months. And it really put in perspective for me the amount of just psychological weight not just political weight mm -hmm. that he must have carried mm -hmm. and surely still carries five years later. No, that that's actually perfect, David. Thank you for sharing that because it, it leads me to first my response and then I'll ask the question, but my response to how this came about and I, and I remember it. I remember covering it from afar, coming from a national perspective. It just goes to show how this was. This was the the, the legacy, the mantle of Jackie Robinson operating in Colin Kaepernick, the, you know, I can no longer stand and salute that flag because this was a personal choice. This was not mm -hmm. a planned, orchestrated, mm. strategized protest. He had no designs on this being a movement because to, to, to your point, he didn't say anything. He didn't say, hey, guys, I got something to say. Steve Weish observed it, asked him about it, and he was prepared not only to speak his truth to power, but also it goes to show how strong he was because he could have wilted at any moment. He compromised in kneeling as opposed to sitting, but he could have wilted at any moment and said, I don't want to be the leader of this movement, but he was prepared and he was equipped to move forward and be the face of this. And I definitely mm -hmm. want to get back to Dave 
the communities and the teenagers that you that you uh, highlight and profile in your upcoming book or your, your book the cop the Kaepernick effect. But in the meantime, I do want to ask you this about the process of this book. So you said you started writing it at the beginning of the pandemic. So that would be, you know, winter uh, 2020. A lot happened in 2020, which kind of yeah. mainstreamed this movement, if you will, the death of George Floyd. Um, uh, so many and, and obviously the nationwide and global Arbery. protests. Yeah, uh, yeah Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Kenosha, so much happened. Uh, yeah. Wondering how that affected your process and your reporting and the direction of the book, just seeing what happened uh, on, a, on a, maybe even a larger scale, I would say, with the summer of 2020. Dramatically. Absolutely. It was a dramatic change in the entire approach to what I was doing. I mean, because like I said, I started doing this book for the very modest reason that I didn't want the experiences of these young people to get memory hold. But then when the summer of 2020 happens, we have to remember that those were the largest protests in the history of the United States. And I don't think we say that enough, like the largest in the history of the United States. All 50 states saw protests after the police murder of George Floyd. And what I did was I started to rethink the whole book and started to think, well, wait a minute. How do you get to the largest protests in the history of the United States? A lot of roads got us there. A lot of organizing, a lot of disgust in some cases uh, with the state of policing. A lot of roads got us to that point. But one of the roads was paved through the athletic fields of the United States in towns big and small, big cities, small cities, the whole thing. It runs the gamut, red state, blue state. And that. And so what I did was I was like, OK, that's an interesting thesis. But is it true? So I'd already spoken to several dozen people by the summer and went back and I interviewed him again. And what I found out was they were all either in the streets or organizing the people around themselves to go out into the streets. So they were an organic part of what was happening in their communities around this. And then that just cinched it for me that, you know, that there is a true yeah. organic and undiscussed connection between what Colin did in this very humble way and the largest protests in U.S. history. And you saw whether it was protests in response to George Floyd or Jacob Blake or anybody in between um, kneeling again become mainstream, if not co-opted uh, during this process. Mm -hmm. I'd like to go to the communities that you that you uh, investigated and, and the teenagers, this, the next generation that was inspired by Colin Kaepernick, because we saw a few, we, you know, sometimes the national media will pick up on you know, uh, the story of a, of a high school basketball team taking a knee or, you know, uh, you know, a, a, an individual football player taking it here and there. Mm -hmm. I, I hope this question makes sense, Dave. Who's the most forgotten uh, example? What's the most forgotten mm -hmm. example of protest that you uncovered in this book? Or you say, wow, you know, people really should hear more about this particular story, whereas other stories may have caught wind or caught fire. Nobody knows about this person who sacrificed the same as Colin Kaepernick. We know he lost his career, but there are a lot of teenagers out there, a lot of administrators out there who put it on the line in the name of protest and police brutality as well. Yeah, like asking me to choose between my children, Michael, because I got attached to folks. Talk, yeah, literally. I mean, because I, I really got attached talking to these folks because, you know, I, I can tend to be very pessimistic about the state of the world, I think, for very good reason. But talking to these folks, I mean, and it just made me feel positive about the possibilities for the future, not the definite future, but but a possibility 
for a better future because you know they're young they're more demographically diverse and less tolerant of intolerance than any generation in US history and i felt that when talking to them and they're brave in a way that I certainly wasn't brave in high school. And uh-huh. I talked to this one young man, football player named Rodney Axon. And what I found was so great about Rodney was like he was already, he's a high schooler, um, he was already feeling in, in his own mind that there was a problem with the anthem at football games. And he was disgusted uh, being a black player on a football team where there was open racism among his white teammates. And when he would overhear it, they would always say to him, oh, no, but we're not talking about you. They effectively said to them, you're one of the good ones. You're our teammate. And it, it just it, it, it ate away at him. That plus police brutality ate away at him. Memories of what happened to Trayvon Martin ate away at him. Trayvon Martin, a name that came up in almost every interview I did as something that marked people from a young age, more so than Colin Kaepernick. I heard the name Trayvon Martin and Rodney was one of them. So literally the next week after he first saw Colin Kaepernick take a knee, he was like, bingo. There's the, that's what I can do. So here he is. He's not even thinking of his, his life as a football player as connected with his desire to see any kind of change. He's seeing them in two distinct worlds. I'm a football player over here, and I'm a young kid furious about racism and police violence over here. He sees what Colin does, and he's like, there it is. That's how I can make an impact, and that's how I can show all the people who are saying to me, oh, you're one of the good ones. It's okay. Now I can show them that, wait, don't, don't label me as anything, and you're probably not going to think of me as good when this is all said and done. You know, it's, it's so fascinating, D- Dave, your book. I mean, I could just go on and on with the layers of it. I bet you could have, too, and your editor was like, okay, I know you can go on and on, but give me the manuscript, okay? <laughs> give it back to me. But really, the, the Kaepernick effect, it, it affects the youth. It affects uh, current professional athletes, athletes across the board, amateur athletes. Also, our politics. I mean, think about how we, uh, our political language, how we discussed Democrats, discussed Republicans, Republicans discussed uh, Democrats before this. This whole notion of reaching across the aisle and working together, that is blown away Nobody talks like that anymore because it's not realistic. Uh, It's not genuine. And so I I think 2016, August 2016, really opened us up to what was underneath the hood of America. And people really, whether they wanted to or not, were forced to declare how they truly felt for better or worse. Yeah, I I love the way you that? that. I, totally. And I love the way you phrased it, too, because uh, someone asked me on a, on a previous interview, do you feel that Colin Kaepernick polarized this country? And I said, well, no, I think police brutality polarized this country. Colin Kaepernick just gave expression to the polarization that already existed, and it laid it bare for people. And uh, overnight, Colin Kaepernick went from being an athlete you either liked or disliked to being the symbol of a movement you were either for or against, and people had to choose sides. And also that issue of polarization needs to be uh, looked at more closely because if you if you really dig into some of the polls that were taken, and a lot of polls were taken about people's reaction to Kaepernick, uh, you saw that it wasn't people who were polarized so much. It was white people who were polarized. Like that's where the big split was. <laughs> In how people thought about Colin Kaepernick. It, it, so it was like, my family is no exception. It was like fights inside of families. 
about whether this was appropriate, right. about whether we should listen and all of this. And I think like that's so important because one of the conditions, I think, of this country that we are getting beyond now because of people like Colin Kaepernick is what I might describe as white blindness, as this idea, well, I don't have to think about police brutality because it doesn't affect me. And I'm not a racist. I'm just going to go about my day. Colin Kaepernick was saying, well, no, this is everybody's problem and everybody's going to have to confront it. One of my favorite, and I use favorite sarcastically, um, memories of Roger Goodell was when he's at a press conference. I think it might have been before the Super Bowl. And he was like, our fans want our players to stand. I'm like, what fans? Yeah, our fans, you know, it was so it was so loaded. It was, so, it was such coded language, whether he intended yeah. or not, like which, which fans you talking about? Because I'm, I'm perfectly fine <laughs> with him kneeling. Um, and I gotta I gotta say, David, we've talked about this before, man, you know, in the five years since it honestly got exhausting. And I think you pointed this out in that I'm pretty sure you pointed out in that nation column that I referenced earlier from August 19th. It got exhausting trying to convince people who didn't want to be convinced. Yeah, that there was a problem because no matter what Colin, no matter what posture Colin Kaepernick took, no matter how articulately he and others explained his position and the legitimacy of his position as if my humanity and Michael Holly's humanity and people look like us is even up for discussion to begin with. But no matter how much we try to have the quote unquote discussion, people just weren't trying to hear it. And those people yeah. were already that predisposed to not trying to hear it. Mm -hmm. That's a long winded way of getting to this question, Dave, because again, your book is is required reading and I'm looking forward to it because I want to be uplifted because I've been pessimistic over the last mm -hmm. five years that there was ever really a conversation or was it just arguing because that's what we do. You know what I mean? Do, do you feel like the conversation has been advanced in the last five years or are we really just in the same places we always were where certain mm -hmm. white people just ain't trying to hear it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on on one level, the conversation has advanced dramatically, and that's because the people who were 14 five years ago are now 19, and the people who are 19 are now 24, and they're growing up, not just thinking of Colin Kaepernick as a hero, but actually seeing themselves as leaders in a way they wouldn't have if they hadn't stepped out and done what they did as athletes. And that's the part that gives me hope. Now, you read the stories in the book. Some of them are frankly not hopeful. You know, they take the knee and people throw garbage at them. Yeah. And that's where they're left. Right. But some of the other stories where the discussion then gets into the locker room, where the coach is on their side, where teachers are giving them a pat on the back as they're going down the hallway, where a whole school assembly takes place to talk about it. And people who've never spoken in public before have to get up in front of their school and not explain why they did, but actually argue with everybody in the assembly hall. Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? And that stuff is what is really what makes my motor run. I mean, just this idea that there are people out there who not only care, but are willing to put it on the line to get other people to confront that very elemental question, which is, which side are you on? Well, Dave, you have always been on the right side of history before it was popular. Uh, we appreciate uh, the work you've been doing, the work you've done. Looking forward to diving into this book, man. This is required reading class. Me too. Uh, and thank you so much for following your thesis and uh, putting together the Kaepernick effect and, uh, and breaking it down with us here. So we'll see you again soon, man, when, uh, when you hit that New York Times bestseller list again, the same as Michael Holly is a regular one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is not. This is you said it though. This is next level. This is you just gave me an idea when you said required reading class. 
Hey, this is going to be a textbook. Sports journalism textbook. You just gave oh, me an idea, sure. Michael Smith. Yeah, this is good. Do stuff. they have it on Park Avenue? Is the question, Dave Zyra. Yeah, Do they have it? it, it does Goodell get a copy? I remember in 2017, they had a thousand of us on Park Avenue <laughs> protesting that Colin wasn't in the league. No That's question. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Be well, everybody. It very much. But some of us cuss in front of our family, so you don't cuss. You, Do you? You're, you're saved. You've been, you've been, you, you, well, you, you've, uh, you've kicked that. I, I cuss. Let's not over. Let, hey, let, let's not overstate that, Mike. Let's not overstate that. <laughs> oh, you should see me this morning trying to get the attention, trying to get the attention of a a, a fifth grader. I had to tell him something. I think I, I you know, I do it just to surprise. Every now and then, <laughs> I do. Gotta, gotta, I do. I cuss around them so much that they don't even land anymore. They don't even care. Well, that's what I'm wife. saying. See, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> hey, you got to throw a curveball. Um, like so, speaking of curveballs, sometimes you got to throw a curveball to get their lots attention. Lots of them. So, Dimitrov was talking about your fashion sense. Um, your fashion forward. Man. I don't know if you're this fashion forward. So, Met Gala Woo. had the internet going nuts last night. Lil Nas X with the C3PO. But I'm gonna tell you who won the night for the Met Gala for me. And not just because you know, I know you got sports is. Well, who who you think I'm gonna say? Who you think I'm gonna say? I know you're gonna say. Because I mean AOC AOC made him mad. AOC had him mad with the tax the rich dress. She made him mad. You know, which AOC makes him mad just by breathing. So that's redundant. AOC making people mad. She's Sierra won the night for me. She's like the uh She's like the Ka- she's like the Kaepernick of the house. Uh, AOC is. Yeah, Sierra but won the night. I knew for you were gonna say Sierra. Yeah, I knew she's you were like, gonna say that. Russ can't be here, but he's here. I mean, and it wasn't just the number three dress. She had on his Super Bowl ring and had a football purse or clutch or whatever they call it. There's, oh, there's, there's Queen Regina King. There she is. Bruh. But Sierra won for me. What? There it is. Like you said to me we earlier, be honest. we're, we're in the trust Thomas. Keep, keep, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep Sierra up there. Keep Sierra up there. Yeah, like, and, and don't change anybody yeah. else. Just keep Sierra up there. This ain't about Russ. This ain't about <laughs> Russ. Okay. Russ, this ain't got yeah. nothing to do with you. And your championship and your contract and throwing the DK back. Yeah. It ain't got nothing to do with you, Russ. She won the night because she won the night. My goodness. And and Ru- and Russ my Russ Lord. won at life. Um, other Ooh. other winners from the night from just my little island and about fashion. Um, you know, Naomi was in the house. She's an event co-chair. Yep. Naomi Osaka was there, looking lovely. Serena was there. Simone was there. I'm on a first name basis with them. Uh, Megan was there. Yeah. Steph and Aisha were in the building. Looking incredible. Steph and Aisha and Russ and Sierra is just like double date or something. I don't know. Uh, Russell Westbrook made that. his Met yeah. Gala debut with blue hair, I believe. Hey, Russell, look. Um, Listen, Russell Westbrook. Okay, Russell Westbrook sharp. takes it to the next level. Did you see Did you see what he had on a couple of weeks ago? 
Oh, wow. Look at that. I um, did. I did. Who's that? Who's that? Tiana Taylor, I think. Okay. Hey, Gabby. All right. Um, G- Gabby, and Gabby and D-Wade. Gabby and D-Wade. Ashley and Steph. I, excuse me, Aisha and Steph. Ashley. Gabby and D-Wade, yeah. Aisha and Steph, and Sierra Russ. Top three sports couple. Rank them amongst yourself. Was that Megan just now? Did I tell you? I, did I tell you I breathed the same air as Megan Thee Stallion recently? I didn't tell you that, did I? I think that was Megan. No, you did. What? Uh, tell, me, tell, tell, tell me about that. Oh, that's that's great. Russ. Great look. Great. I'll look. tell you about that some other time. I'm gonna get myself in more trouble than I'm already getting there. Is that Allison? Yeah. No, no, look, hold on. Sports, wait a minute. Sports was in the house. Sports was in the no, house. No, stop. Stop. Hold on, Mike. This is. Hold on. You gotta tell. Ooh. You don't have to tell the whole story. You gotta give us like a little. Give us a, the AP lead. You know, you ain't got to get into like the, all the details, but give us a lead. You breathing the same air as Megan Thee Stallion, who's about to go on tour. With, I was, I think, I was this close. I was this I close to Megan Thee Stallion. I was this close to Megan Thee Stallion. I'll just, I'll leave it there. Why? I'll leave it there. Why? Come on, don't leave it there. You can't do that. Oh, I, I happen that. to be. That's a great lead. No, I mean, I, look. Oh no, no, it was one of those. It was one of those. Uh, what was my man in uh, in in in? Uh, remember the movie uh, Gladiator? Uh, Were you masked? Was that? I, did, I didn't say I knew him. I said he touched me on the shoulder once. Remember in Gladiator? Right. It was like I, I didn't say I knew Marcus yeah. Aurelius. I said he touched me on the shoulder once. Like I ain't saying I met Megan Thee Stallion. I ain't saying she even recognized that I was there. I'm saying she walked past me in a crowded event and was real close. Was as close as I'm ever gonna get. You know. So I was just. It was. You know. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm going to quit while that, I'm ahead. We are being broadcast that's, right that's now. That's incredible. Let me quit while I'm ahead. I know. And not say some Come stuff on, that I got to answer for. From where I'm sitting, from where I'm sitting in Massachusetts, not at your house, at my house, but <laughs> from where I'm sitting, you're fine. <laughs> you didn't do You didn't do anything Am wrong. I, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't right know now. Right now, I'm fine. Right now I'm fine, but I if I keep if it's going, interpreted that way. As you, I'll put. My, I mean, I will put my foot in my mouth eventually. It's kind of like when I was saying all the all the mother earlier. You know what I mean? When I was when but I was. You, you pulled I, it off. Eventually, you know. So it's like I keep. You know, I thought I did a good job of censoring myself, uh, if I may say so. Do you but, think? Do you think um, if you were ever invited to the Met Gala, one, would you accept the invitation? Would I go? I think yes. That's a yes. But would you be able to? Go outside because everybody requires going outside of your comfort zone. Like I would try to go, I'm I'm shooting for Lil Nas X. I'm trying to go to that level. I'm trying to do something a little crazy. Yeah. Would you be comfortable doing that, or would you just kind of do the, uh, you know, velvet tuxedo jacket, bow tie with a little flourish, just a little flourish there, or would you try to just go for the win? Well, you got to know yourself. You number one, I mean, I'm not even in the game to go for the win. Like, we, ain't, I ain't walking nobody's red carpet at the Met Gala. Ain't nobody checking for me. Um, so, but what I push like, the envelope? We're trying to um, go there. They're trying to no, go there. I, would, I, I can't pull that off. I, can, I, I can't pull that off. That's not, that's not me. That's not on brand for me. Look, man. Truth of the matter is, if I gotta wear more than this, I probably don't have it. At the aforementioned event where I was in the presence of Megan Thee Stallion. Um, I think I had on like a t-shirt. I think I threw a blazer on over a t-shirt with some jeans and some Jordans because I don't even know how to go outside no more. 
I don't even know what to wear no more. Like I don't have suits anymore. Like I just if it ain't t-shirt flip-flops and socks and sweatpants, then I'm screwed. Quite honestly, I, I just if I got to dress up to get in, I'm just not going. So they'd be lucky if I dress up better see, than that's this the at the beauty. That's the beauty of these times right now, though, Mike. That you can, you know, you could be, you could go to a place, a, a so-called fancy place, and you could wear jeans, and you could wear, you could wear your Jordans, you could wear a T-shirt, and nobody looks at you sideways yeah. because, oh, yeah. hey, yeah. that's where we are the right times now. Have but I gotta say, me. I had mentioned. That's how I was always. I was gonna say about Russ. Dressing. Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Before this event, this is tame for him. Did you see the picture yeah. of Westbrook with the skirt on? Yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta yeah. tell you, kilt he, or he pulled it off. Yeah, he, it wasn't a kilt. Yeah, ben it wasn't a kilt because back in the day, back in the day, yeah. I, I don't think I ever told you I wore one back in the day, a kilt. Did you? I was just like, no, nah, I, I did. I didn't wear it the way it's supposed to be worn. See, the way, if you go really be legitimate, yeah. you got to wear it in a certain kind of way, and uh, yeah. I just wasn't that confident. Yeah. But you know, it felt good. <laughs> It was it was liberating. I, I yeah. you know, I felt not like, okay, my mind. Listen, no, do no. you like if, 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 if you know, whatever floats I don't know if I can like do it. it I love it. Um, let me ask you this before we uh, before we take another break. Um, oh, about the Met Gala. Um, were you yeah. more intrigued by who was there? And I'm sure we left some notable figures out because it was too many to count or who wasn't there and why? Because, because I'm laughing to keep from crying, but it's actually it's actually funny that Nicki Minaj, in this instance, thinks her Twitter account is like her group chat. Because okay. like you know I love Just to read, okay, you know I love Just to read that. you know I love to rename my fantasy team. There's a fantasy team name in here somewhere because this reality is just sad. My cousin in Trinidad won't get this? the vaccine. He had to be vaccinated let, to go to this. Let me, let me won't read get this. the vaccine because his not. friend. You want to read it? Go ahead. You read it. You read it. Go ahead. Yeah, I I, I got to read this. Okay, now, yeah. picking up where you left off. His friend got it and became impotent. His yeah. testicles became swollen. <laughs> His friend was weeks away. It's not funny, but I can't. Getting. His friend was weeks away from getting married. Now the girl caught off the wedding. So just pray on it. Just so trifling, dog. Pray on it. And make sure you're comfortable with your decision, she not said, bully. She said, I'm pray on you. it. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for you. You know I'm praying she for you. She should have prayed. So uh, you should have prayed before you hit uh, sin, Nikki. Like, I mean, because and, this is just and make know, sure this is not <laughs> Make sure you're comfortable with your decision and not bullied. Okay, look, look. Um I'm not saying your cousin in Trinidad so that didn't happen to your cousin. Your cousin in Trinidad's <laughs> friend has swollen testicles. Okay, I, I'm sure. Hey, look, I take your word for it. See, this is this is stuff that just it just drives me crazy. What I'm name becoming more and swollen I'm going, testicles. I'm swollen testicles. <laughs> I'm going the other way, Mike. I'm going the other way on it. I'm not. Like I hear some people, good for you. People who say it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge you. Okay, okay, you say that. I am going to judge you. I'm, I'm going to judge you because this is absurd. Now we're getting to the crazy point. 
I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it's happened. But I think the better question is what not because of the vaccine. Right, right, right. Or, or maybe because of the vaccine. Maybe, maybe. Well, but medical, maybe medical man, experts have debunked. Medical experts have debunked that this is a side effect. Yeah. Okay, so people have now have to okay. work overtime to tell Nikki and all her followers and all her Barbies that this is not a thing, you know, but maybe may, Mike, we're in the misinformation. Maybe there area. was Mike, maybe, maybe there was a breakthrough swelling. Maybe there was a breakthrough swelling. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it happened. Well, but, but okay, but here's the thing. But, okay, but, your, your friend's cousins, this happened to your friend's cousin or whatever he is. What about the millions of other people? You know, like I'm good. The millions of other right, people right. See, who have, I mean, you want to talk about research. See, that's what I was saying the other day. There's anti-vax and there's vaccine hesitancy. If you were vaccine hesitant, not only is there an abundance of research, which she referenced that she wants to do, there's a bunch of research out there that's right. been out there. All of us have been your guinea pigs. So the one example of swollen testicles you got, what about the millions of us who, whose testicles ain't swollen? It's like, I mean, come on, man. Like, if, just say I ain't taking the vaccine See, because I ain't taking the vaccine and mind your business. That's all. Just mind your business. It, it, I'd rather you say that. Yeah, I just don't yeah. want to take it than to spread some BS about swollen testicles in Trinidad when it's like there's plenty and, of people and, without swollen testicles that have taken this vaccine and live to tell about and, it. And, and she called off the wedding. Okay. She did you a favor, bruh, because <laughs> it's supposed to be in sickness and in health. Okay. You know, you go through some things. You need a ride or die. And so when, 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 when my stuff not right, you just go right. walk away. Okay, good. You did me a favor. There's a better I mean, one out there for me. Did the swelling go down? Did the <laughs> swelling go down? Is it transferable? Is it now becoming an STD? There's so many things to unpack from this ridiculous story out of Trinidad. Not to it's mention if I'm, a, if I'm Nikki's cousin, I'm like, hey, man, why are you putting my business in the street? Why are you telling people about my swollen testicles? Yeah. Why I got to come knows. into your space. You know, now everybody know I got swollen testicles. Now I'm being judged. Now I'm being looked at sideways. Now yeah. I can't get no action Man. in the streets. My wife didn't my, my fiance didn't already left me and now I can't get no action Man. because you telling everybody I got swollen testicles. Thanks to the vaccine. <laughs> so you spread misinformation and you put my business in the street. Everybody got to lose unnecessary. Really unnecessary. It ain't Keep right that to yourself. But see, I, I, Mike, we, we got to get back to likely. We got to get, get get back to what's likely to happen. So could it happen? Yes, it could happen. Just like any any uh, research, when you go out and you drive your car, some things, some bad things could happen. But what? Yeah. yeah, there are side effects. Potential side potential so side effects. Now yes. we're going to. I can't really get with you if you're going to go to the extreme, because nothing, nothing is safe. Could you, if you go and get uh, a delicious a delicious milkshake, or if you go get uh, your favorite burger? Could you choke on it and die? You could. Is it likely? No. So let's stop talking yeah. about the the 1% or the one half of 1% and go to the likely thing that's going to happen. Right. You are likely to be in better it shape save your life. if you get the vaccine than not. Yes. Yes. Come Just on. get the damn Nikki. shot. Moral of the story, get the damn Nikki. shot. Cut the crap. And Nikki, and by get the way, the Nikki, I ain't telling you nothing. I ain't telling you nothing. Mm. I wonder if there's a seriously like I mean I, I'm laughing because it's just so the fact that she says you know what I'm about to kill him with this I'm about to squash this argument. 
a cousin <laughs> in Trinidad. He can't make it. Won't get the vaccine because his friend got what? it and became impotent. Testicles became swollen. <laughs> Man, that sounds like something else going on. Like what? this vaccine is powerful. Wait, it ain't that powerful. Hey, wait. Impotent and that? swollen testicles. I think he might have lied to you about what his <laughs> issue was. Okay, that's VD. That ain't STD. That's VD stuff. That's from back. Remember VD? Remember it was VD before it was STD? Oh yeah, we that's do. what VD gave him that. My cousin in Trinidad. Hey, so Thomas Dimitrov referenced it earlier, Michael, that uh, a lot of people are trying to send Urban Meyer back from whence he came, minus a break in the booth at Fox, back to the college ranks and see if he'll leave Jacksonville to go take a very high profile and appealing gig uh, in LA as USC went ahead and fired Clay Helton after they uh, lost to Stanford over the weekend. Um, a, Urban Meyer, too much money, too much pride uh, to leave Jacksonville to go back to college already. Maybe eventually ends up in college, but that's not the conversation here. thing I want to point out, I was reading our boy Bill Plasky. Uh, about what USC needs yeah. to do next. And he was talking about how, you know, USC has got to go big. You know, like they got to, they got to, they can't get somebody, um, you know, from from in, from the inner circle. Uh, they can't afford Wrong. to get some up and comer. Like they got to get somebody who is somebody, as, as I think Bill Plasky phrased it. And I just want to remind Bill Plasky and everybody else, everybody else, uh, fight on all of the USC faithful. Uh, this is a, a premier job. This is one of the marquee programs in the history yeah. of, of college sports and Absolutely. college football in particular. But your glory days, your last glory days at the helm was Pete Carroll. And we talk about Pete Carroll and we look at Pete Carroll a certain way now. When Pete Carroll got the USC gig, Pete Carroll was a failed head coach in, yes. New, in New York and in New England. And New okay? England. He yep. preceded Bill Parcell or Bill Belichick. He, he succeeded Bill Parcell and preceded Bill Belichick in New England. Okay. And was a defensive coordinator for a lot of years, most notably with the 49ers. But Bill Par Bill the Pete Carroll was not the dude that he was when he came back to the league Tell me after that great it. run oh, at USC. Tell that story. And took over yes. the Seahawks job and obviously since went to two Super Bowls and won one. So all I'm saying is none of y'all know what y'all doing. When I mean y'all, I'm talking about presidents, I'm talking about ADs. None of y'all know what y'all doing when it comes to hiring coaches. You all just get lucky. What you really want to do is win the press conference is what, what they're talking about. So what you need to do, pick the right guy. It ain't got to be the sexy guy. Helton didn't right. work. That doesn't mean you got to go get a rock star coach because a rock star coach could fail just all, all the same. Pick the right guy. Ooh. Don't act like you knew what Pete Carroll was before he got there. Oh, that's right. That's right. And the only thing, only thing I disagree with, uh, uh, only thing you said that I'm going to push back against is one word you used. What's that? And that was lucky. What's lucky. that? Lucky. Now you're right. You're right about Pete Carroll. Uh, he was coming. He he was. Uh, he took over what people thought was a Super Bowl team, a young Super Bowl team in New England, and they just got worse year by year by year by year. And by the time he left, they were eight and eight, and they wanted him out of there. And then they brought in Bill Belichick. So he takes a year off. Then he goes to USC and they're 500 his first year there. Nobody saw what was to come at USC. 
led by Pete Carroll. Nobody saw it coming. And it was a great, it was a terrific run in USC history. You're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be a big name or a big name that everybody expects. But there's no luck involved. This is a great program. Why is it a great program? Many reasons. No, I mean history, student body, I mean, student body, right? All that stuff. Real quick before you push back. But I just mean luck yeah. in terms of you think you know you're hiring the right person, and then three, four years later, you're looking for another coach. Like there is no blueprint to getting the perfect coach. That's all right. I'm saying when I say luck. You know what I mean? Like you. But I say you're guessing. It's the same USC, as the draft. You're guessing. USC, you are you're one. You're just one recruiting class away from turning this thing around because you've got one of the premier programs at a great location right in Los Angeles yeah. with tons of history. You've got recruiting. You should always be in the recruiting conversation. And the other thing is uh, like I think there are some programs that are just good no matter who's no matter who's coaching. I'm talking about good talent base. Okay, USC Michigan, believe it or not Notre Dame. They have talent, even when you hate their coach. Right. Like, okay, okay. Going back in the day, Michigan's a great example. Notre Dame, but Michigan's a great example. Michigan, real quick, no, Michigan's a great example. But Michigan was like Michigan, like USC, even though it's not you know the premier location, the primo location is like, oh, we can hire whoever we want. We're Michigan, winning this program in college football history, right? Okay, we're, we're, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Michigan, we're Michigan, biggest. Okay, we got the big house, we got all this stuff going for us. How's it worked out with Jim Harbaugh? Who was a knockdown, drag out, no brainer hire when they got Jim Harbaugh, and yet it's been disappointing. Right. So that's all I mean with when it comes to luck. If they're able to get a James Franklin who's built programs, that's great. If they, you know, Matt Campbell's a, a, a nice, a nice name that's been out there. People are saying go back and get Chris Peterson out of the booth. Go get Bob Stoops no, out of retirement. No, you know what, man? Those, are, those will all be sexy sizzle hires, but the substance is not guaranteed Listen because you could end up hiring a no name, and that no name ends up being Pete Carroll. Is my only point. I, and I would hope, I would hope, Mike, that the, the powers that be at USC will be open-minded enough, and I was asking a lot for a lot of these, uh, you know, college presidents and athletic directors, a lot of inside, uh, you know, a little back scratching. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. A little uh, politics going on, but just be open-minded enough to listen to somebody who has a plan, because I'm sure there's somebody out there mm -hmm. who is the right fit for USC, who is not in a high-profile program right now who knows what it takes and how quickly who knows what it takes to get to turn that program around and how quickly that program can be turned around. I'm not talking about a three-year plan. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a year. So the talent is there. Mm -hmm. They just need somebody to, to get them straight. I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged about the future of USC football, even though right now it's not great. All right. Um, what, once upon a time, before he, the Raiders gave him a hundred million dollars, I'm pretty sure John Gruden, as usual, was connected to like the USC job and every other vacancy uh, at the time. Not the guy. Bob Lamont's always done a great job. No, I'm not saying he's gonna leave the, the Raiders for that, but I just want to bring up Gruden because uh, you really think it was ridiculous what he said about Darren Waller? Like, I know he's coached some amazing Outrage. players, Woodson, Brown, Out Rice, but outrageous comments. Waller. He may not be right, but Waller's freaky. Waller's freaky. And here's Gruden on Waller as we go to break. On the other side, we're talking to Steve White from the NFL.
media, NFL media. Now, uh, Darren Waller had 19 targets. Uh, can't, that can't be by design or something. You, what was your reaction to that? Well, we that? threw it 60 times probably. You right, know, okay. If you threw it 60 times, you know, you'd probably target him 29 times. So we, I thought he mishandled a ball or two uncharacteristically. He had a penalty call back, a big catch and run. Uh, he's the best player I've ever coached, so I'm going to continue to look for him. And um, sorry about that, Vic, but, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a hell of a player. He deserves some good looks. Hey, what's up? Hope you guys had a great weekend. Football is officially back, and it's great to be 1-0. Yeah. we got a big week ahead. The marathon's just getting started. we got a lot to improve on and excited for this week. Let's go. Tom Brady just, he's relentless. He is relentless, and he, he's heartless. Never misses an opportunity right. to, to remind up, the Falcons <laughs> about the, when he saw him in the Super Bowl and offered That's the greatest comeback up. in Super Bowl, if not NFL history. 28 to 3, 328, timed also perfectly and placed also prominently. Uh, good to have Steve Weish. NFL.com, NFL Media, NFL Network here with us. Hey, man, um, listen, we spent a while earlier talking to your friend and ours, Dave Zirin for the Nation, about his new book, The Kaepernick Effect. Uh, an effect, a book, a, a movement. You got it already. Right, right there on the shelf. Right there on the shelf. That would not be what we've come to know it as if not for you, if not for you noticing uh, him sitting during the National Anthem five years ago asking him about it and him voicing uh, his reason for his personal protest, which was police brutality. So that story started with you, my friend. Um, we'd love to know if you could, in the time we have, put into context how far we've come and how far we still have to go uh, in these five years since Colin Kaepernick first articulated to you uh, his reason for his protest. Well, clearly in terms of where we've come um, in the sports world, we've seen more athletes from different sports step up and do things, speak out, right, and say the things that Colin Kaepernick was saying in 2016 on that day and through the season and continues to say today. We see more white athletes step up. We've seen leagues. We've seen teams, you know, and people say, yeah, they're just writing checks. No, but there's some work that's really being done. It's very positive work, especially on the legislative side and localities and states and on the federal level. So, that part, the awareness part of it has absolutely, you know, evolved in terms of where, you know, what, what hasn't. Well, I mean, there's there's still police officers killing unarmed people. There's still a lot of judicial resistance to changing some of the laws that we know look in an era where, you know, in many states like here in California, where I live, where they legalized marijuana. There are some states that still want to keep people in jail who got busted with small amounts of weed, you know, five years ago. So there's still a lot of things judicially um, that have not changed, but there has been some progress, but I think the biggest stumbling point, you know, continues to be that we, we still see unarmed people of color being killed by law enforcement um, without much punishment. And that, that was the big statement that Colin Kaepernick made. There are dead bodies in the street and people still getting paid leave while families grieve. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, I think that's kind of the hamster wheel that we're still on. 
Yeah. You know, as, as Mike said, you know, Dave brought it up and he brought you up specifically. Hey, if, if Steve Weish had noticed it, maybe it doesn't become a story. But you did notice. You did ask and you wrote the story. What was it like for you once once you wrote it? Did you say, oh, wait a minute? Because remember, like this was not a big deal five years ago. People were just like, oh, yeah. And then it exploded. Did you sense? Oh, man, we got something here. I'm sitting on something pretty big. I think this thing has has legs, as we say in uh, sports journalism. What were your thoughts at the time? Oh, no, I, I knew it was going to be huge because yeah, look at look at the climate, right? This was 2016. Hillary Rodham Clinton, Donald Trump in the throes of a presidential race, right? I think the primaries had just ended. They're running that you know, during the home stretch. There was all this racial division coming from the conservative side of the country. And then a lot of people not liking Hillary. So politically, we were not far from where we are in terms of division, acrimony, things like that. That pot had been stirred. So also think about this is when um, Philano Castillo and Alton Sterling and several people of color. We had several summers and in that summer alone where people of color unarmed had been killed by police on video, on video, and nothing happened. Right. So. I knew when Cap did this, because we had not had a starting quarterback in the NFL. Remember, he wasn't starting at the time. Blaine Gabbert was. Cap was coming back for injuries. This is a preseason game when this first happened, that this was going to be huge, in large part because Cap, as big of a star as he had been, everyone's kind of like, he's the guy? But he was always this very quiet, very cerebral, very introspective person, like, wow, this is going to be you know, our generation's Muhammad Ali. Like, it, it got black players, it got black athletes and black people because they'd never heard him voice this before. Yet, here he was taking one of the bravest steps we've seen in modern sports history that we're still talking about today. Guys, history, can, history when it comes to civil rights, cannot be written from, from this point on without the mention of Colin Kaepernick. No question. And then there's still, in, you know, on the conversation of progress, the league is, you know, adopted, if not co-opted um, a lot of messaging when it comes to racial and social justice. It's on the back of helmets. It's in end zones. And yet there are racist double standards that up until recently were still being applied when it comes to concussion settlements. There's a glass ceiling when it comes to management positions. Ownership is still the final frontier when it comes to black people. There's a story about Jeff Bezos or even Jay-Z potentially being in the ownership mix for the Broncos in 2022. That's a conversation for another day today, though. What I don't what I do want to touch on with you still having a conversation all these years later about the lack of uh, black head coaches in the NFL and the two that stood out in particular were the offensive coordinators in the Super Bowl last year, Byron Leftwich and Eric Bieniemy. Yes, yep. just we just finished talking, Steve, before you join us about the USC vacancy. Unbeknownst to us at 434. Uh, Adam Schefter tweeted that league sources believe that Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy will emerge as a head coaching candidate for USC. Bieniemy is from Southern California and has told confidants in the past that USC is one of the only college jobs that might interest him. If you were advising Eric Bieniemy, uh, would you advise him to take that job and maybe a detour from the NFL head coaching job or? stick it out and hope that an NFL coaching job is in his near future the way it hasn't been. See that, that, that what, what, what you just said is the harbinger to everything. Hope. Stick it out and hope. <laughs> what more does he have to yeah. do? 
what more does Eric have to do, right? He's coached the Super Bowl MVP. He has coached um, on winning teams. Several of Andy Reid's assistant coaches. I mean, think Matt Nagy, for instance. And, and so they've got head coaching jobs doing, for doing less. Everything that they did is being held against Eric Bieniemy in terms of they didn't call plays. Brad, you know, and, and, let's go and, yeah, on. yeah. I mean, the, the list goes on. They didn't call plays. So everything, so that the goalposts have moved over and over again when it comes to Eric. So if USC is saying, here, Eric, you're from here, you're a collegiate legend, you could recruit L.A. If you, if you recruit L.A., you win. You win. Because yeah. look at the talent on all the major programs in Southern California that are starters in, in Division One programs. So I wouldn't say, Eric, hey, you know, stick it out. This and that. He's seen. He's seen. I mean, you know, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles. There's so many other guys that we could talk about. And Eric probably should be the next one and probably has been. Everyone keeps saying he'll get his turn. He'll get his turn. No question. Yeah, soon all the, but all these young 38-year-old coaches are getting their turns, right? So if Eric gets an opportunity and maybe, at USC and, – and look, and I personally know that Eric has expressed interest before in Essen. So if yeah. if that's a job he wants and they're willing to take him, I go, go for it because, he, as Michael was saying, Michael, the expectation is different. Right, Michael, he may yeah, end up being say, Pete Carroll in more ways than one. He, he may yeah. rebuild it the way Pete Carroll did and make his star that much brighter if the goal is to get back to the NFL by going to a place like USC and winning big, Michael. And Steve, you said, you know, you live out in California and, and I'm saying it from the East Coast, how great that job is. And I'm looking from afar. You're up close. Just give us a sense of just what USC football is when it's at its peak, when it's really... Uh, competing for national championships. I mean, it, it's kingdom. I mean, look, here in L.A., you know, Lakers, nothing will ever be done to Lakers in terms of local attention. Lakers and Dodgers are it. The Rams have made significant headway. But SC, you get SC back to the top, it's like the Showtime Lakers. I mean, you know, it's 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 one. It's a private school. You know, they call it the University of Spoiled Children. But yet the city has embraced it. And then nationally, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, nationally, if you've got USC and if you get Miami back, right, and you get some programs like that, college football is better. Okay, Alabama right now, Alabama and Clemson are it. Like everyone's like, okay, is playing for second. Georgia's playing for second. Maybe they get to first this year. But you get SC and some of these other schools involved, especially with the shifting of these conferences coming up. You know, we're talking about the Pac-12 yeah. merging with other conferences. And SC can, can make them a player? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Steve, we, uh, we appreciate you, man. Uh, let's do this again real soon and go over some more NFL headlines. But as I'm talking to you, it's Please like, do. look, that antiquated view of college being a step down. There's too much money and too much prestige to turn your nose up at a college job, especially one like USC, man. Like, it's, it's, it's just it's just as glamorous as some of these NFL jobs, if not more. Ask Nick Saban. And the paper, I mean? and so, the paper exactly. is the same. The paper is the same. If not yeah. more. If not more. It's, it's big business. Hey, we appreciate you, brother. Thank you for your time. We'll talk to you again soon, all right? All right, guys. Be good. Good to see you, right. Steve. Hey, Mike. Uh, hey, Mike. All right, with a couple minutes we got this, left, man. how you want to wrap this up, buddy? This is what I want to say. I want to say, uh, just real talk, I always tell people this. Uh, you know, growing up in uh, the great state of Ohio, in Akron, I was fortunate enough to live in a neighborhood 
with a bunch of kids. And so we, you know, we played street ball, everything, baseball in the street, basketball, kickball, whatever it was, just a great time with whatever resources we had. And I don't mind telling you, Mike, that a lot of times I may have been picked last <laughs> or close to last. <laughs> but I learned at that time to be a general manager and to get the first pick. So, hey, no, I ain't gonna wait for you to pick me. I'm gonna pick you. And Michael Smith, I had a rare opportunity uh, last summer, August of 2020, when uh, the folks at NBC slash Peacock came to me and said, hey, uh, would you like to do a show? I said, yes, I would. Would you think of working with, hey, don't say no more. Say no more. I got the first pick. And I said, I want to work with Michael Smith. And that's how it started. That's how it started. Thank you, Michael Smith, for answering the call, for saying yes. I know you didn't want to. I know you had to be uh, dragged, kicking, screaming, and MFing, to bring it back full circle, uh, to take this job. But you did it. And that is where Brother From Another, you came up with the name, Brother From Another was born. So today is our one-year anniversary. And what a thrill it has been to have to start an expansion team and to see us uh, make hmm. it to one year without being fired. We're still in franchise mode. Um, so still in franchise I'll mode. just I'll, I'll piggyback off of that by saying, um, look, the truth of the matter is, man, you, you told it. Uh, NBC and Peacock, they were not checking for me. They were not thinking about me. I was literally at home minding my own business. So I can't say I owe you one. I owe you another uh, for, <laughs> for putting... For, for calling calling on me to do this show uh, and I'll just say thank you to our dedicated staff I don't want to leave anybody else I'm not going to name yeah. anybody we, you know we shout you out all the but time everybody. thank you for the staff for putting everybody. up with me I know I'm crazy thank you for the viewers for putting up with all our antics our technical difficulties for this last year and riding with us as we sell tapes out Love the y'all. and we the little show that could we'll thank see y'all you. tomorrow God willing the creek don't rise the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.